Hi everyone and welcome to episode 59 of The Sweet Spot on a Farm. The lockdown has been extended and so I've been unable to schedule any face-to-face conversations. Um, I admit this may push me to finally giving in and get onto this Zoom podcasting bandwagon, but... uh, For now, I am resisting and I've put together another compilation for you. And this time I've selected some bits I particularly like or find interesting from episodes that you didn't hear in the first two compilations. And uh, before we get started, um, if you're new to this podcast and are not sure what the sweet spot is about, then this podcast is about health and food. And it is my search for an answer to how can we achieve healthy body and mind with the resources that are available to us locally. And uh, I am looking at what we can do to improve our health and what and how we eat to support it. And I talked to some interesting guests who can provide us with the tools we need to lead a healthy, happy lifestyle that is personal to each and every one of us. I talked to natural health and fitness professionals, organic farmers and food producers and therapists and anyone whose business and life mission it is to keep the rest of us healthy. And it is a pretty difficult job, I have to say. Um... And I ask all of my guests about their work, their passions and their lifestyles and I wonder what they like to eat and we share cooking tips and plant-based recipes that we can all easily make at home. And obviously today there will be no new guests and rather you'll hear snippets from some of the previous episodes and I do hope that you will find some inspiration in them and perhaps you will get inspired to tune into the full episodes. Um, You know where to find them. And uh, as for the recipe, well, there will be one of mine at the end of this for you. And before we get started, I'd like to give a shout out to the local small businesses who work extra hard to bring us good quality local and often locally grown or handmade products. Um, While this podcast is not sponsored and there are no ads to drive you crazy, I do like to give my guests an opportunity to talk about their products or services if it's something I genuinely believe in. And um, as there is no guest today, I'd like to remind all of us that, um, and especially under the current circumstances, I'd like to remind everyone that we in Northern Ireland have a great selection of local businesses in many different areas who provide good quality services and products that we do not have to outsource elsewhere. Um, So before you order the next healthy food or the next superfood powder or the next branded soap or a piece of clothing or the next big body care item or, you know, the next big thing from a company based in the mainland or even in another country, why don't you look within your community to see if there is a business around that can provide you with the same thing? of the same or perhaps even better quality. Um, Try to support local as much as you can. We have a lot of talent in this country and we have great and growing organic farming industry. Um, We have businesses who provide great quality services in different areas and who always put their customers in the forefront. 
And not everything has to come from a big shopping center or a supermarket or an online shopping website with warehouses based all over the world. Um, I know that shopping online is currently a necessity for many. But, you know, local businesses also have websites and some of them deliver for free to their local areas as well. I think that might might have made up for all the others that I do not have on the podcast. But um, anyway, let's get started. Um, the first snippet is from a very long and very insightful and in-depth conversation about our overall health. Um, I had this conversation with the founder of a local health charity, Mind Your Mate and Yourself, Ray Cunningham. And we talked about many things, including the importance of our perception of health. The, the subject of a few of my talks would be called is called the misunderstood perception of health. So we can perceive somebody in society today as being healthy as somebody that goes to the gym four or five, six days a week, somebody that possibly could run a marathon or half a marathon or goes out running every evening or cycling every evening. Society can perceive those people as healthy. Okay, Some of the people that we work with in here, some of the most unhealthy are those people Okay, because the only thing they focus on is their physical health. I was there before my life where I trained, you know, five, six, seven days a week and still had that void inside me, um, that numbness. And I was, you know, on reflection, it was me trying to train the pain away. And no amount of training was doing what I needed to, you know, and you could see it within an alcoholic trying to drink the pain away or a drug addict trying to, or whatever. Um, but our courses, the courses that we are having huge success with at the moment are called um, PEPS, PEPS FIT, P-E-P-S FIT, and they stand for Physical, Emotional, Psychological and Spiritually Fit. And um, it covers all aspects. Spiritual part of it can be a sticker for people because we can represent that with um, religion. Um, and some people um, are, are very um, passionate about the, about the religion, some aren't. Spiritual for us is just, it sort of governs everything um, and it's something whether it's a spiritual practice could for us could be practicing forgiveness, okay, that could be a spiritual practice, okay, um, and um, so it's very important that we don't um, really, we're not here to upset anybody in regards to their own beliefs, you know, my, um, I'm not religious at all, but my, you know, my mum and dad, um, dad, passed away a few years ago but mum and dad are um, two devout Catholics and they get so much from their practice you know and um, I, I'm happy for them you know and my sisters as well we include in, in the physical side it's what exercise are you doing how are you doing th- are you exercising safely what are you putting into your body how do we nourish yourself through our food um, and through what we're putting in you know what we're drinking and you know help people understand what they may be doing and helping them understand why they aren't in the place that they are and they want to be within their life, why aren't why they aren't there. So going through those four weeks, it could maybe start ticking boxes for people and people just I didn't realise that. You know, I'm I'm not spending time on my emotional state. You know, we look at emotions as information, neither good or bad, you know, and then what can we learn from how I'm feeling right now? What in my life am I avoiding doing? You know, why am I feeling low? Is there something that I need to address that I'm not addressing so their information you know for feeling good you know geez it's it's nice to do that and you know what is what has got me to that point where I'm feeling good um, and how can I enhance that for 25 years of my life I wanted to literally die most of the time 
Um, and um, where I, I, I said to my wife the other day that I can't remember the last day, the, the last time I had a bad day. You know, I can't remember the last time. For me, that's because I work at my, I work at those four aspects of my life every single day. I take the time to do that every single day. You know, I take the time for myself in the mornings to get my head right, um, to be grateful for the amazing things that I have in my life. And um, it's very easy to you know make excuses that just you know it's okay to do that, but you know where would you get the time? Really think when what's important to you is my health and how I feel is very important is the most important thing to me out of everything. Um, so I will, you know, only sit down and look at the day and say like, well, how much time did we spend watching the TV? How much time did we spend Facebook? You know, there are hours, you know, but we we'll make excuses up. Oh, I don't have time. Or I'm too busy with the children. I'm too busy. You know, it's, it's easy to make an excuse, you know. Um, but when you realise what's important, my health is my responsibility. It's not the doctor's. It's not my mice. It's not, it's mine. You know, and that's something that from coming back from suicide and losing my brother to suicide took me time to realise my own happiness is my responsibility. Once people grasp that, you know, become very independent then, you know, very confident, you know, and realise that we can do something about how we feel. By the way, Mind Your Mate and Yourself, or My Mate for short, is the charity we are supporting with the Sweet Spot Cookbook. And you can now download the podcast recipe collection um, directly from My Mate's website, um, mymate.org.uk. The second bit is from episode number 11, um, which was my conversation with Scott Riley of Causeway Living. Um, one of the things we talked about that may come handy at the time of lockdown is meal planning. And we also talked about Scott's juice fast experience. The denial of all of those toxic things I've been putting on myself, but also dumping tons of micronutrients into my body that it hadn't been getting. And like an extended period of time of just so many good micronutrients so I, I totally agree with that and even from the convenience aspect like one thing that I also have an online course and the one of the big parts of nutritional advice in that is down to the very very simple thing of planning ahead you know like if if it's you know if you've got an intention set or a goal for weight loss which many people do um you know like one of the things that holds them back from that so much is the convenience thing and not having anything planned and just thinking oh I'll just put some you know just grab something quickly but in something so simple as like taking five minutes to plan even just one day ahead you know if your goal is weight loss or yeah let's just use that as an example you're not going to plan for yourself like a an oven pizza or something like that that's really counterintuitive so even just to address that like one thing that you brought up that might be helpful for people is if you're finding like convenience is one of the things that holds you back from eating a little bit more healthy you'd be amazed what a simple bit of planning can do taking five minutes a day just to plan for the week ahead is ideal but even if it's just one day ahead like that's better than nothing and helps avoid those like hungry decisions of choosing the wrong thing <laughs> so my personal journey involved um to give you the uh, brief overview of it, I went on a two-month juice fast. I went 60 days uh, just doing fruit and vegetable juices. I took a trip to South America to be treated by the tribes there with uh, the plant medicines indigenous to the Peruvian Amazon. 
And really through those couple of things and in that six month time period, I basically lost all of the weight. I wasn't suffering any of the symptoms from the arthritis that I had anymore. Yeah, in fact, it's probably even worth mentioning at this stage, if anyone else is interested, like two of the things that really inspired me to do the Juice Fast were two documentaries. One of them was called Fat, Sick and Nearly Dead. Really, really good. Where the yeah, guy I thought so. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. <laughs> so, yeah, he's similar situation to to what I was in, had a, an autoimmune disorder and uh, a big part of my desire to go on the juice fast was like he managed to get off his medication and like I said, like you can't promise that to anyone but I really wanted to give it a try. So I really liked that from that documentary and another one was called Super Juice Me and that came with a 28 day plan and if I was going to do it like a two or if I wanted to do a two month juice fast I wanted to do it right and like have something nutritionally balanced so I figured I'd take that 28 day plan and do it back to back plus a few days and that would get me kind of the best of both worlds out of those documentaries so I can highly recommend anyone listening to this to go and watch those documentaries and see if it speaks to you again it's one of those things it's maybe not as well understood as some of the other stuff stuff that I'm teaching with Causeway Living and I did the juice fast for the first two months and then there was still four months until I could go to Peru because there was I booked it but it was such a remote place and the retreat center could only take like 20 people at a time there that uh, I still had this like big block of time between finishing the fast and going there so I basically ate like steamed vegetables and chicken and fish for like four months and um it's been interesting because I know people have a lot of like emotional attachment to food and like there's so much more to diet and nutrition going on than like literally just uh, what you're putting in your mouth. It's like it's a huge uh, mental and emotional thing as well for people but I don't know whether it's the juice fast I did or the bad relationship I had with food in the past but it's helped me find a place where eating very simply is very easy for me like I suppose you go two months without eating food like even steamed vegetables and like a bit of chicken seems like awesome but um yeah that's where I try and keep it as simple as possible really going forward avoid the refined sugars starchy carbs and still three and a half years or whatever it is later I'm still feeling pretty great I know Scott has done the juice fast again recently and why this may inspire you. Please do not try this at home yourself unless you have consulted and have the support of a health professional. Um, Meal planning, on the other hand, is a good habit to get into if you have a bit of extra time on your hands right now. Uh, Because once you master it, it will require less time while saving you tons of both time and money. And um, meal planning is also one of the things we looked at in uh, my chat with a nutritionist, Jane McLenahan, the founder of Vital Nutrition. In this particular snippet, she explains how small dietary changes, step by step, are more sustainable and how they can amount to a big change over time. If you're coming from a place where your diet perhaps is not as rich in nutrients and especially in your minerals, your taste buds, once you change to a super duper healthy diet, whatever that version of a super duper healthy diet is, your taste buds will rebel and you'll be going, I don't like this. This I'm just eating this because this is rabbit food. It's not good. It's not, you know, and if we make the small changes gradually and gradually improve our nutritional status, then and I this still amazes me after all these years but people's taste buds change and 
you know, somebody will be sitting in my clinic room and they'll be going in the first meeting and I'll be sitting talking about maybe something like hummus. And I'm like, I can't eat hummus. No, oh no. And then a month down the line, they'll come back and they go, I love hummus. <laughs> I love that. You know, and it's just, that is when you know that somebody, somebody, first of all, that somebody, they get it. They have tried and they've made their changes and they have, they've kind of been on their own journey journey of discovery about food as well I think so I would not encourage anybody to make big changes it's the little things because those little things are the things that are going to become your new habits and then next Wednesday make another little change <laughs> it's like sometimes when people go for perhaps something like a, a food intolerance test for example and it tells you what you are meant to cut out but it doesn't often you're not told what to replace that food with and that is so important um, and I think as any any practitioner, if there's any any nutritional practitioners or anything like that listening to this podcast, please get, always give the client alternatives. Because to leave a clinic room and for somebody to say, don't eat A, B, C, D, E, and then you come out feeling like, and when you're in the clinic room, you will go, oh yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. And then 10 minutes later, you're out in the real world or you're in your kitchen and you're going, right, what does that actually mean? What does that mean to me? What are the alternatives? What can I eat then? If I can't eat that, what can I eat? And that is really important. And also I think, you know, in terms of making changes, find recipes and try the recipes out in, you know, alongside what you're already eating. So don't try all these brand new recipes um, and then that's going to be your new diet. Just keep eating the way you are. Get a handful. Again, it could be start off with one recipe that will suit this new way of eating that you want to change to and just build from that and it can be a new recipe every month it could be a new recipe every week you know and by the end of the the year you would have a whole a whole new way of eating and just doing it little by little in episode 22 Bessie Rollins the founder of Modern Nature Stevia talks about her experience with artificial as well as natural sweeteners and her IBS. Um, the very reason she has looked to start making her own stevia and started her own company. Um, I have a blood condition called hemochromatosis. And I won't bore everyone with what it is, but in essence, I'm more likely to develop diabetes. And I, when I was... Um, I started getting ill from hemochromatosis at 17, which is very, very young. Most people get um, unwell from it, you know, in their 30s. So I started getting unwell at 17, but wasn't diagnosed until I was 22. And in that time, I became pre-diabetic. Oh, wow. So for me, Stevie helped me reverse that, you know, because it doesn't have an effect on your blood sugar levels. Um, and also it's, um, you know, safe to use with IBS, which is an another thing that I have because of my hemochromatosis. So yeah, it was a, it was, it was a real game changer for me because giving up, completely giving up sugar is, re it's really hard. And, you know, especially if you're coming from eating and normal, <laughs> I say that very hesitantly because of what is normal, um, a, uh, modern, uh, Western diet, let's yeah. say. Um, it's very, very hard. You know, it's very, very hard to go cold turkey, and I think unrealistic in most in most cases because you you just end up yo 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 yoing between being very good and then cracking because it's too hard, and that's why I love stevia because you get that sweet satisfaction without the effect on your blood sugar level, and it really um, curbs cravings. With so out of all the sweeteners, artificial and natural, so I'm talking 
um, out of all the artificial ones, so the Splendors Candorels, etc., which are made out of typically aspartamine and um, sucralose, which is different from sucrose. <laughs> Very confusing, those two words, but sucralose is artificial, um, aspartamine. And then, so they're the two main artificial sweeteners and, and saccharin also um, that you get in in mainstream products and in mainstream sweeteners like Candorel and Splendor, etc. Then, so they... Um, more research does need to be done on their effect on, um, on the gut. Um, I actually find that eating artificial sweeteners gives me a stomach ache. So the last time I had um, artificial sweeteners was a while ago at, at a friend's gym opening. They had some sports drinks there that were artificially sweetened and I mean I had a few sips and I had a stomach ache for two days. Oh, wow. So yeah, that's artificial sweeteners. Then you've got the natural ones, so xylitol and erythritol. And they are known to have a severe laxative side effect. And I think if anyone who has a sensitive digestive system has eaten them, you will have experienced the effects, um, which is why I don't use xylitol and erythritol. And then you've got all the fruit sugars. And again, they, you know, they are not like xylitol and erythritol, they're natural. Um, and fruit sugars are natural, but they do have a negative impact um, especially if you have IBS. So fruit sugars contain obviously fructose and fructose can agitate um, the digestive system for sure. So that's, you know, date syrup, all, all of those fruit syrups will contain large amounts of fructose. And also, which really annoyingly, a lot of the new light uh, premium drinks, so Fever Tree have recently um, in supermarkets most of the drinks that they offer are light and they are completely natural, but they're sweetened with fructose. So I'm kind of annoyed because I'd love to be able to go and get a lighter ginger beer or whatnot as a treat. And I'm like, well, flip that's got fructose in. So yeah. I just get a stomach ache. And that's where Stevia really is set apart and where it really stands alone in the sweetener category and that it is the only one that doesn't agitate your digestive system at all. The next bit is from my conversation about permaculture with Heiko Vermeulen. Bloody hell, I can never pronounce his name. I'm so sorry, Heiko, but honestly... Okay, Heiko Vermeulen? <laughs> Bloody hell, um, you can tell I can't speak Dutch. But uh, <laughs> Heiko is the founder of Portafer Permaculture Project, which is also a mouthful. And uh, in this bit, he talks about the time him and his wife lived in Italy and lived off their land and foraging trips. And I was absolutely fascinated by this prospect of such simple and labor-intense life. And I think you will too. We decided to pack our bags again, get ourselves a uh, 25-year-old Mercedes-Benz um, uh, camper van and um, drove to Italy. Um, and what we bought ourselves uh, with profit we made from them selling the house in England we bought ourselves part of an old castle um, and a plot of land and um, and worked that um, five of the ten years that we spent in Italy we lived without money uh, we had no income no no source of income so um, we we survived on what we grew on our land and what we foraged um, so we became quite good at the foraging we 
<clears throat> walked an average of 20 kilometers a day uh, plus working on the land and like the land was um, 10 kilometers away from our house hence the 10, 20 kilometer walk because um, uh, we, we didn't have money to drive um, so we walked it or cycled it in mountainous terrain our land was steep um, it, it uh, in permaculture terms it wasn't uh, the ideal thing because it was too far away it was just too work intensive basically the whole thing um, and we weren't getting any younger, so we decided this. We, we had to we had to look at alternatives. We were originally looking at um, intentional communities, um, various places, but in the end decided to come back to Northern Ireland. This piece of land we had was very steep. Uh, it was extremely work intensive, um, and um, I was obviously um, cultivating it organically, but. Um, um, there was there was this little link that was kind of missing, and I was I was writing a blog at the time, um, and some some people that were following me up there was quite had quite a following at the time, and uh, some people then suggested, hey, we should maybe try um, permaculture, and I thought well, I don't really know anything much about it, sort of thing, you know, and um, um, and then as it happened, there was um, the Permaculture Institute of Italy um, were offering um, their first ever permaculture course P uh, pdc um not far from us um for a very very good price and in english as it happened as well so um i signed up <clears throat> um i got my my book publishers who very uh, uh, gave me an advance on the book so i could pay for that because we were obviously on on on, um, on virtually no money so I, and i took that course and and that was like a like an eye-opener so um, I was then involved with the permaculture movement in Italy. And then when I came here, I sort of thought, OK, let's go and see. From permaculture to bees, or wasps rather, um, in episode 51, I talked to a local beekeeper and bee body care maker, Emma Thompson from Beehaven Beekeepers. We talked about bees, of course, but the bit I chose um, because I found it really interesting is all about wasps. A lot of the time um, I now spend, it used to be talking about how important how important honeybees are, and, and I still do that. I think the, the population has come a big step forward into accepting bumblebees and honeybees and into the, you know, the important kind of species category, but wasps are super important as well, and I do spend a lot of time now trying to convert people from wasp haters to... Maybe not wasp lovers, but wasp appreciators, because wasps are really super important. And without wasps, we wouldn't have plants for the bees to pollinate, because wasps eat the green fly and the aphids, and they're super important. And they get such a bad rap, because they're a little bit, you know, badly behaved towards August time. And that's mainly because um, the wasp colony collapses um, in August or in late July, and there's no queen. Um, and the wasps that you see in beer gardens and drinking your coke and you know flying into your pints and hovering about your head or in the bin licking you know ice lolly papers that's because they're starving and they've no queen and their whole world has collapsed and they've got nothing better to do so um, wasps an interesting fact is that wasps worker wasps collect the green fly and aphids they, and the nectar and some pollen and they bring it back to the to their colony they feed that to the larva the larva regurgitate that food and feed it back to the worker wasp and the worker wasp eats what's known as like a sticky sort of sweet substance that the larva regurgitate so the worker wasp can only eat that 
So whenever the queen dies out at the end of July, early August, um, there's no more larvae, so there's no more food, and there's no more queen. And the queen, the new queen, does the same thing as a bumblebee. Newly mated queen does, and, and hibernates in the ground, so that colony completely collapses. Um, exactly the same as bumblebees, as I've said. So come August, September time, wasps, worker wasps, just have nothing better to do, and they do become a bit of a nuisance. But prior to that, we have to kind of learn how to appreciate the wasp, I, I believe. I will be a real advocate of wasps and try and talk about them and change people's perception about wasps. But come August, we will actually put... Um, oh, and there's a little bee. Um, uh, come August time, we'll actually put some jam and water out beside our beehives because they do. If we've got a weak colony, and, and quite often in the apiary of maybe, you know, seven, eight, ten, whatever it is, colonies that you've got of, of honeybees in that apiary, not all of them are going to be massive big um, colonies or big hives. You're often going to have a couple of really strong ones, a couple of ones that are okay, and a couple of ones that are maybe teetering on the edge of, of collapse and need some help. So the wasps will find those colonies and they will attack those bees. And you can often see warfare going on at the front of the hive, and it's very interesting to watch. A strong colony will fight off the wasps every single time, but a weak colony won't. We've went into colonies, uh, some of our colonies in Mont Alto last weekend, and you know wasps are living among the bees, and the bees are just so, you know, in that particular colony, were just so weak that they couldn't do anything, and the wasps are going in and out and eating their stores. So, yeah, they're <laughs> rascals. So... Um, what we do then is kind of um, sort of help them along their way because they're not going to survive anyway by giving them some um, jam um, and and a nice bath and that kind of they people say to me um, if I put jam I would say put jam out in August but not before don't trap wasps before then August September time put jam out um, and the wasps will die happily um, with a nice sort of um, sugary bath but will that not kill the bees no bees are too intelligent they don't want cheap jam they want nectar in episode 41 the founder of Ootsie Brew Trisha McNeely explained what her fascination with medicinal mushrooms is all about okay so right now our pineal glands clogged up with maybe too you know too much poison and over-processed food and stuff in our water and things like that. So I go, okay, so what helps clear the uh, pineal gland? Chaga came to the top. I thought, that's what I'm going to bring, that's what I am bringing to the world because Chaga is the king of all mushrooms. It's full circle for me because when I was a young girl, I used to watch mushrooms grow, literally, when I, I would get up at five, not very often, I grant you, but I would watch the mushroom grow, come through the ground, a small button mushroom, and by the evening time, it was like a portobello size. I just found these things absolutely fascinating. Did you have mushrooms in the garden when you were growing up or something? Yeah. Where did you go? Yeah, I grew, I had a, we had a very small holding of a farm, and um, we had mushrooms growing there, yeah. Oh, and there was incredible. a river, a little small river running through one of the fields. It was, it was beautiful. You know, and I watched those mushrooms grow. And when I was age twenty six, I wanted to set up a business be to be the first organic mushroom farm in Northern Ireland. But my father said, "No, 
you can't have that land. <laughs> oh, okay, why not? Or oh, there's five five other children in the family. I said, but they'll all work, we'll all come on board. But he said, no, he didn't feel it was fair, which is fair enough. So I've come back around now um, to to revisit that whole world of mushrooms. That, are, that, that kingdom is fascinating. It goes... They've found a fossil of a mushroom that's over a billion years old. So th there's something whether we are very linked with that. Because in the mushroom kingdom, 45% of our DNA links closely with fungi. So Chaga being the king, known as the king of all the mushrooms, that is a tree mushroom and it grows. Well, we have sourced our Chaga from Siberia because it's known to be the best. It requires like minus 30 to activate, you know, the goodness in it. So the fruiting body starts at the centre of the tree. The spores are in the air. They're looking for loose bark and they love birch trees and they... they go into the centre and the mycelium goes to the external part of the tree and then you take that mycelium off and it'll regrow again so it keeps regrowing so you're not damaging it even though I will say this that once Chag is in the tree the tree's on its way out because tree mushrooms help assist the tree to go back down in the, in the ground to nourish the soil again it's not cold enough here to grow on our trees, but if you were in Siberia in Russia, you it would be very much part of your your makeup. Your in any of that northern part in Finland and Canada, there's a lot of folklore around it. Well, which probably brings us to the name of um, Utsi Brew, because our company is a homage to Utsi, the Ice Man, who was found in the you know, two hackers walking across the Utsal Alps and they found a frozen body coming out of the ground. And when that frozen body was excavated, he was 5,300 years old and he was carrying medicinal mushrooms on him. So it's very ancient and it's been around a long, long time. And there was even a book written by a Russian doctor Please don't ask me to pronounce his name. <laughs> but um, he wrote a book called The Cancer Ward and he worked out, you know, that there was a whole tribe of people in Russia that didn't get cancer and the one common denominator they had was they were all drinking chaga. So he looked deeper into this and he started drinking it himself because it's very fascinating. In episode 37, we talked about the flow state and equiscope therapy with Tony Floreal. And if you find it interesting, you may like to know that Tony and his equiscope now live in Northern Ireland. So what is flow? Flow is basically on the simplest level when you feel like your best, right? You're most creative, you have a lot of energy, and you, you kind of lose track of time, so time either speeds up or slows down. But essentially, you feel your best and you perform your best, right? And um, a researcher um, out of, I think he's from Romania, but he worked uh, as a professor at University of Chicago, he wrote a book called Flow. And so he took all this information about like peak performers or, or people that um, always just like felt like they were in the present moment and felt like they 
were satisfied and happy in life. Like they literally were the most satisfied and most happy people on the planet. And he went around the world, did it, the largest uh, global study. His name is Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. It's a, it's a crazy like name, right? For most of my life, had meditated, had done visualization. So this all leads back in the flow. There's different uh, on ramps they call into entering this state. And so I put it out there for a career change and then ended up receiving a random email from a, um, a financial education group about this technology. And I was like, this is weird because they're usually talking about like entrepreneurship, investing in stocks, like everything but like technology that like helps you heal like two to three times faster than normal. And so the email said, um, former stuntman shatters his leg like Humpty Dumpty and uses space age technology to regenerate the leg on a uh, leg that was supposed to need a complete knee reconstruction, knee um, replacement. So, you know, being involved in that world and uh, pre-med and physical therapy, I just thought this was uh, like, I wasn't sure if it was uh, a hoax or some kind of scam. So I just went down that rabbit hole and then ended up meeting the stuntman uh, through a series of synchronicities, a series of, I just felt like the, the universe was like guiding me to some direction. And I had never heard of this technology either. And uh, I just followed my gut. I did my research. I, I checked different sources. And it all just kept leading back to like, like you need to do the machine. You need to learn this. And at that point, I didn't have like the the, the financial means to do it. And so um, just the story of my life, like it just like happened where someone overheard me talking about this and then remains anonymous to this day, like walked up to me and said, I'll write you a check to the, for the full amount to get started and you don't have to pay me back. Just work on me if I ever need it or people that like I know that needs it. And I was like, wow, like deal. And so I sent the check to the uh, institute. I was in the training in December of 2019 and just been traveling the world ever since. Um, again, with personal experience of watching people with chronic pain and acute pain um, from animal to elite athletes to uh, the general population. And across the board, like everybody's just gotten better like quickly just through tiny bits of electricity like putting across the uh the the body and the skin when the body is connected um and we're connected to each other we're, it's um the the brain waves the heart waves and the muscle waves are all in sync so if you looked at your body as a musical instrument, you're literally tuning yourself every time you step out in nature with your bare feet. Every time you go amongst the forest or you go into the ocean, uh, you get proper sunlight on your skin, proper air, proper nutrition, proper sleep, pop, proper movement, right? When we do that, 
we feel our best. So it's not anything esoteric. That's what like flow really is, is that you feel completely yourself. And you know when you're off, you're out of tune, like a musical instrument that's out of tune, right? So this technology is just helping us remember like our essence, our source. And we've relied, over-relied on technology, right? So this is a technology I have, but my main goal is for to help people remember like how powerful they really are to use all those tools and not to be dependent on technology, but to use it as Archimedes' lever to, to again, leverage uh, yourself because you're just built out of levers, right? Your muscles, your bones, your brain's dictating like how it how to move through space uh you get an idea you make it into reality you, you materialize it that's all out of levers right so to make that connection between the brain the heart and the muscle you know when somebody's in in complete uh attunement when they're in sync you feel it and then that's when like the magic happens. So that's where like magic flow buzz came in, came about, right? Like where I was like, how come they didn't ever teach us this in school? Well, I took the opportunity through some people that recognized it happened to me. And they were like, Tony, can you teach what you do? How are you able to travel the world to do what you do? Things just happen. Like you meet the most amazing people, you help them, you help people. Is there any way you can teach that? And with my own personal experience with the machine, when I was uh, using it for my hearing, um, two weeks into treating myself morning and night like it was a morning and, and evening meditation, I was hooked up to the electrodes to my brain, and there was a moment where I wasn't feeling the current on my skin anymore. And so I looked at the manual and said that you can go up to a certain ten- intensity. So I turned the notched up, and all of a sudden I almost fell over because I, I saw the veil m- removed from my eyes. I swore I heard angels singing, <laughs> right? And I had this feeling of being whole and complete in one, and it was like an instant flow state, instant zone. I was like there, and I was like, what is this, right? And I remember calling my mentor, uh, John Thorpe, the stuntman, and I said, John, I just had this experience. And he said, Tony, now you know. In episode 50, I had a chat with a local Olympic athlete, Kerry O'Flaherty. And I do apologize for the annoying wind in the background. Um, We recorded this episode between lockdowns and we recorded outside on a sunny. But as it turned out, very windy day so um if you can forgive the wind um this was a really interesting conversation and one of the things we talked about was the effect a menstrual cycle can have on a female athlete's performance if you do get stressed out about it you know the you know the the stress hormones then kick in and then that's even more detrimental to your performance um and you know losing that confidence as well knowing that your your period's going to land with it within a race right I'm not going to do so well and and you know when you you know talk yourself down your your performance decreases as well so for me last week you know I I knew I was hitting that time in my cycle and but I didn't let it get to my head I didn't I didn't even think about it I didn't think about it at all it wasn't even in my head um and 
I ran the race and and came across the line thinking what what what's wrong what's wrong and you know when I went to see my coach afterwards he says look Kerry that wasn't you today it's your hormones and it was him that said sort of straight away because he knew and I was like yeah actually you know um because it was arriving you know the day after um and it was it's just I guess it's just hard to take sometimes because you know knowing that you know I, I was fit enough to actually um you know go for a medal last week at the national championships you know even though I'm only coming back from injury you know I'd, I'd run a time the week before that um could have um got me the silver or bronze possibly you know last weekend um but to then run you know 30 odd seconds under par and feeling horrendous you know it was like right searching for the answer what's the answer what's the answer and then I was like gosh actually yeah you know my period's due tomorrow this is this is what has been happening um and I guess it's hard to accept sometimes and I don't like then going and making excuses but I felt you know then that last week gosh you know I myself and one of my other friends um she had a race elsewhere and um her cycle fell as well and you know she she didn't run well and it it really upset her as well and I thought you look right you know I need to put something out there because there although a lot of people are speaking up about it now there's there's not enough out there I'm lucky in a way that my coach is also my partner and you know I'm I'm very open about talking about this and I am very open even with the other male members in my club you know when they said said to me you know gosh I'm sorry you know didn't your race didn't go as well as you would like to to and I says yeah but you know my period was coming on and there's nothing I can really do about it um and I think a lot of them have become accept you know accepting into this you know it's 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 fine to talk about this um and it should be spoken about because there's a lot of people who've been suffering in silence and you know the the more female athletes that open up and talk about it and the more um coaches that can talk about it to their athletes um neither you know there's obviously female athlete coaches or coaches out there as well but um the majority of coaches about are are usually are usually male um but the more people that do talk about it then hopefully there'll be um a better understanding of maybe why somebody's athlete hasn't performed well um and you know helping them helping those athletes deal with you know the you know the, the stress of it as well um and helping those athletes actually be open to talk to their coaches and so on and their and their teammates about you know why they mightn't be feeling well a certain night and why they can't really push on in training and you know it's um it's something that hasn't been spoken about but it is coming out there you know more and more and you know it's it's great that you know I can put a post out there and then a lot of you know females have have responded to the post and you know it's it's helped them and it's helped them talk about it as well I guess, I guess it's just a hard it's, it is a hard one and especially you know if you maybe run a bad race and you're you're interviewed after the race and so on um and it's you always want to take the positives from your race and you know but it's 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 hard sometimes because the general public are sort of looking at you as well expect, expecting you to perform well and when you don't um as I said I don't like having excuses but you know sometimes you know you need to speak up about why things haven't haven't gone right but you know this is not even an excuse it's a fact yeah it is it is and there was one time I I had run a race and you know I'd I'd come across the line and um the, the week the week before um 
I had had my period for a race and um, although I ran okay I hadn't run the best I could and um, I was obviously looking a little bit bigger because my stomach was swollen um, and I'd come across the line to win this race and uh, interviewed straight away and uh, the the male um, interviewer said to me um, oh you know oh this week you're looking you're looking leaner and you're looking this and that and um, you know what's the difference what's what's the difference between you know last week's and this week's performance because you've performed so much better this week and I says well you know I had my period last week so I wasn't he says oh we'll not go there we'll not go there I was actually quite taken back and and it was around the time you know it was it was only a handful of years ago so it was around the time you know female athletes were coming out and talking about this because it is important um and I just said to him straight off well why not Uh, The last bit I've chosen for this compilation is from my chat with a local TRE and craniosacral therapy practitioner, Gareth Toner. It was episode 39 and Gareth talked about the benefits of tremor in tension, stress and trauma release. So probably a good idea to go back to history. Um, So Dr. David Porcelli, he's developed the TRE model about 30 years ago, his story is that he was a psychotherapist, I feel, I know he's a body worker, he had experience with massage, but also he was a missionary worker, he would have travelled around developing world countries, um, yeah, supporting people in need. Um, so he experienced a lot of developing world experiences in terms of war, natural disasters and everything. And there was one time when he was travelling, I think it was Libya, he was in a safe house where there's bombs or something landing out around the house. And he was in, in that room with about seven different other men from different cultures. And he observed when bombs or a loud noise landed, their bodies went into a feet-like position. So shoulders up, head forward, legs up, protecting the most vulnerable parts of their body. So that feet-like position, just like a, a newborn. And he just observed that and known a bit about the bodies. He's curious about it. And in other situations, he's seen children who were being protected by their parents and held on their knees, loud noises, gunshots were landed, and all the children and the men, women, went into a fetal-like position, contracting these main muscle groups that we'll talk about later. But the children, after that, they started shaking. So he was curious, he goes, if we have a primitive response, natural response to protect into a fetal position, contract the muscles, we also have a natural innate response to discharge that experience and move on. Adults were more socially conditioned to hold, stiff up our lip, suppress them things, but children less conditioned and they discharged it. So he went and explored the main muscle groups that are contracting there. And the main muscle is the psoas muscle, uh, which is connects to the inside of the groins, to the lumbar spine, to the T12. And we're si- yeah, it's like the muscle that contracts a lot when we're sitting or driving or running or so it's constantly engaged. So he developed these seven different exercises that fatigue and tire out these main muscle groups from the calves, the ankles, the quads, to the psoas muscles to tire them out so that the body invokes this natural neurogenic tremor. So he devised that and he would go around the world and with 48 different countries around the world teaching people to, after natural disasters, earthquakes, tsunamis, uh, teaches providers to teach people how to do this self-regulation tool so that we don't need to go to one-to-one psychotherapy to deal with this trauma shock 
that's been held in the system. So that's the history of it, Dr. David Bicelli and his work. Um, but he was only interacting with something that's natural to all us humans, all animals. And he did study and looked at animals in the animal kingdom. Um, if you look at in the grasslands of the Sahara or any of the open plains, a prey, a lion seeking a, a paya, the paya senses, becomes vigilant, becomes more aware, scans the environment, sees the lion, it goes into a fire fighter response. All the energy of the body, all the resources go towards getting the hell out of there. It doesn't want to get caught. So adrenaline, cortisol, the main muscle groups engage us. But whenever it feels safe, it gets away from it, it discharges it, shakes it off. Just like a dog does in a thunderstorm. Or a horse shuddering after a race. It's a way of down-regulating. Uh, sometimes it gets caught, and they have a natural immobilised response which sends opiates throughout the body. And us humans have evolved to have this experience too. It sort of sedates the whole body, numbs it out, plays dead so that the predator doesn't eat the prey because it's dead meat. So then whenever it feels safe again, it comes out of that freeze response, shakes it off and goes about its business. So what you're hearing, what I'm saying is that we have that capacity, but we have evolved to have a more prefrontal cortex, rational, understand, analyze, and so stops these more primitive responses in the lower parts of the brain. And TRE is the model to bypass this rational thinking thing and the more primitive part so that the body begins to discharge these held experiences. There's a vibration power plate in the gym that allows the body to shake, whole body puts a vibration in the body to discharge and it has studies show that it's beneficial. Like even visual therapists just to use vibrational therapy by putting a thing on the muscles to break up tissue tension and all. So if we're invoking something from the inside out rather than using external stimulus, that's the body's natural capacity to regenerate itself. So if we all had that, we could run for a bus, get adrenaline cortisol arise in our system, we could sit down the bus, discharge it and go about <laughs> our day rather than carrying that anxiety or throughout our day. And it's, if we, yeah, just engage with it more or just find ways actually to self-regulate, not necessarily through shaking, just through down-regulating, whether it's taking 10 minutes, sitting, having a cup of tea or meditating, or it allows that nervous system to come back to a more balanced state. So that's it. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I think I will be giving in and I will try to set up some online chats for um, new episodes, even though there is enough material for at least another two compilations. Um, recipe for this week. Um, it is a little upgrade to my quinoa stir fry with seaweed. If you have the Sweet Spot cookbook, um, not the podcast recipe collection, I mean the paperback copy of our first cookbook, um, you can find it on page 97. And all you have to do uh, for the upgrade is you stuff peppers with it. So you just cut the top of two to four peppers, depending how many people you're cooking for. Stuff the peppers with the salad. Massage some olive or coconut oil into them. 
uh, into the peppers on the outside and roast them at about 180 degrees for about half an hour or until the peppers are a bit soft. And then you serve it with some steamed veg or a side salad and that's it. If you don't have the cookbook, all you need is some quinoa, onion, sweet potato, courgette, some garlic, some salt, um, some cayenne pepper maybe, that's optional, um, a little bit of raw apple cider vinegar, um, a handful of parsley or coriander and a handful of seaweed, which you'll have to soak in water for a few minutes first. You cook the quinoa and then use the veg to make a stir fry with spices and the apple cider vinegar. And when it's done, you add the cooked quinoa and rinse seaweed, top it with fresh parsley and then just stuff your peppers. Simples. You can actually use any spices and herbs of your choice and substitute any veg. To be honest, whatever you have at home, I made it today and I didn't follow the recipe to a tea. I simply cooked the quinoa in a pressure cooker with organic tinned tomatoes with basil. And then I used some leek leaves instead of onion and sauteed it with a teaspoon of cumin and then used the same veg as in the cookbook. And then when it was ready, mix the seaweed in it, stuff the peppers, done. Um, It's actually great for getting rid of veggie leftovers towards the end of the week, to be honest. And it's really forgiving in terms of herbs and spices. Honestly, whatever's in your cupboards, that'll work. Uh, The secret, however, is in the skillet or a pan or whatever you've got to cook the stir fry in. Years ago I by complete off chance I bought a Colombian black clay roaster tray. I had no idea what I was buying I just liked the idea of having clay cookware and it turns out that it's absolutely perfect for stir and steam fries and quick curries. The food that comes out of it is unreal and it pretty much cooks itself, I swear. If you can get your hands on one of these, you'll be taking your quick dinners to another level. I can tell you that much, honestly. Where you can buy this um, black clay roaster, I do not know. Um, At this time uh, of a lockdown that we find ourselves in, um, you're just going to have to do some searching online. If you cannot find one online, you're just going to have to wait for the lockdown to be over and try probably the most odd cookware shops you can find or shops that sell mixture of things that you normally can't find elsewhere. Um, Places like TK Maxx or, God, you know, the kind of stores that you maybe normally don't pop into the kind of stores you just stumble upon when you're browsing the streets um, without any purpose um, I honestly don't know I can't remember where I bought it but um, honestly it's one of the best things in my kitchen back to the recipe um, as always you'll be able to find it in the file section of our Facebook page where you can download it and a JPEG of it will also be available on our Instagram And uh, if you enjoyed this compilation, I hope you may be inspired to give some of the full episodes a listen or leave us some feedback, rating or review on whichever platform you listen to this podcast. And if you didn't like this podcast or if you didn't like any other 
episodes, um, you can email me at thesweetspot at gmail.com and let me know your suggestions because feedback is really important. And uh, that's it for this time. Have a lovely couple of weeks. Have a go at some meal planning and if you're making any changes to your lifestyle, try it one little step at a time and most importantly, try to stay healthy. Until next time. As every week, your host is myself, Susanna from The Sweet Spot. Music by Mark J. Adair and artwork by Gemma O'Hagan. Thank you for listening. Thank you.